0: Welcome to the CX Pod Europe from T Tech.
1: Hello, and welcome to the CX Pod Europe from T Tech, your CX podcast providing thought leadership and executive insight on customer issues. My name is Mark Hillary. I'm a right to an analyst focused on CX, and I'm your host for this edition. Open banking refers to the use of open APIs to allow banks to connect to each other and third-party developers to build services that can access bank information seamlessly. The European Parliament created their Payment Services Directive in 2015 and the UK government ruled in 2016 that third parties must have simple API access to bank information. And now there's hundreds of organisations using open banking in just the UK alone. Hugh Davis is the Co-Founder and Chief Commercial Officer at Ozone API. Ozone is helping those banks to plug into the Open Banking standards. He's on the Board of Advisors of the Emerging Payments Association, and he was previously the Ecosystem Development Director at Open Banking itself. Open banking is the implementation entity created by the UK government to actually make it happen. So Hugh not only helps banks today, but he was part of the team that defined how open banking actually works. So let's go straight to the discussion on open banking with Hugh Davis. Okay, great, Hugh. Thanks for doing the podcast. It's great to speak to you. Uh, And, you know, and clearly looking at your background on LinkedIn, uh, you know, you've got a real history working in open banking. Um, so I think you know. Just to begin with, could you introduce the concept of you know things like PSD two, uh, open banking? When I talk to people about these these subjects, sometimes I get blank looks. So if you're talking to someone who doesn't really understand it or has never heard of it, how how would you describe the subject? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, first of all, thanks for
0: the invite, Mark. And um, it, it's an interesting one because um, open banking is often steeped in. Technobabble and, and and regulatory speak, and actually the concept's really simple. It's um, it's about customers having much more control over their information and, and their money. Um, so historically, your bank account sat behind a, a very very thick set of walls and a, and a closed vault. Quite quite rightly, the only way you could access your bank account was going into your branch, or more recently going through all of the security to get get to your mobile banking app or your online banking. And in this this new world of open banking, it effectively gives customers a little more control over how they can access and use their data and their money. So a very simple example. At at Ozone, we're an international company. We've got a number of different bank accounts. Um, it allows us to actually see all of our accounts easily in one place. So use our accounting platform, give permission to connect and, and see all of our accounts in one place so we can see the cash flow position, all of the payments coming in and out. And it just makes life an awful lot easier. I mean, from, a, I guess, a more technical perspective, um, uh, it, it is based upon banks implementing um, sort of very secure and typically standards-based interfaces, so technical interfaces that developers and third parties can plug into. Um, And typically these developers and third parties have to be authorized and regulated. So it it isn't just anyone that can can connect. They're they're regulated players. Um, And only with the customer's very, very clear consent um, can they then access this information and do something for the customer on their behalf, whether it is helping them see all their accounts in one place or or one of the many other use cases. And and it is being driven by regulation in quite a few places around the world. But also it's happening where regulation isn't in place because it just makes sense to give customers much more control. It's good for banks. It's good for customers. It's good for all of the platforms and developers that can help customers more effectively by integrating and embedding services.
1: Okay. And if I was trying to explain it, say to my mother who doesn't use any kind of social media at all, you know, and she's a bit... uh, afraid of technology. I mean, but what does it actually allow the consumer to do that they can't really do right now?
0: Yeah, so the easiest way of bringing it to life is probably real use cases. Um, I mentioned one just now in terms of from a company's perspective, seeing everything in one place is much easier than pouring over all of these different bank statements and, and manually inputting it into your accounting platform, which you would have had to have done in the old days. Similarly, for customer and consumers actually seeing all your accounts and savings in one place to help make sure you can manage your money to the end of the month or save the excess um, uh, balance you have in your account. All of these things can be, be, be very helpful. One of the really practical examples though, that, that can bring it to life for people is um, we're all very familiar with when you apply for a loan or a mortgage, you're asked to turn up with various copies of monthly statements and all of this information. Now, that's all sitting there in a digital format that's very easily accessible if the right infrastructure is in place. So if you're going through the process of applying for a loan or a mortgage, um, then it's much easier to click a button and give your consent in a really secure way for that, just that information that's required to help that loan process to be shared on a one-off basis. So you don't have to send in all of these bits of paper and one of the things that it also does in, in that scenario, because typically loans were always based on kind of credit reference data, credit bureau scores, which are which are based on your existing loans. All of a sudden, you can start taking into account your monthly incomings, outgoings, your cash flow. So, one, it makes things much much easier for the customer. It's clicking one button instead of turning up with all of these different statements, but it allows the lenders to make a much better decision because they've got far richer set of information to use. So, I mean, they're, they're just some of the, the use cases, but there are an awful lot of them. But um, yeah, I, it, it's really about kind of embedding um, a step within the user experience for something the customer's already doing, looking at managing their money or applying for a loan or, or making a payment and just making it easier through having a a digital interaction, rather than sort of bouncing around between between different players. So, um, it might be a little bit scary to um, to certain parts of society. So, it, it may it may not be that everybody's grannies are the first to use it, but um, there are probably an awful lot of customers who are using it without even knowing they're using it. It's just. The pipes that that make things work these days.
1: Okay, and so is Ozone, your company uh, and and your API. Is that actually making that that interconnection between the banks easier then?
0: Yeah, so I guess our background, a little bit of history. So myself and um, the other co-founders of Ozone, we we all sort of played a part in um, leading. The delivery of open banking in the UK. UK was one of the first markets to do this in a really big way as a result of a piece of regulation. And uh, myself and and Chris and Freddie were part of the leadership team at the UK's open banking implementation entity. I, I led the development of the ecosystem, and Chris and Freddie led. Uh, the, the creation of the technical standards that are used to to make this work um, and we saw that banks were finding it really hard. It is a complex technical change there 's a lot that banks need to to deal with to implement these interfaces in line with these complex standards to handle all of the complexity around managing this customer consent between between the different players, Um, dealing with all of these unknown third parties. Historically, banks um, go through a really long process before they'll have a relationship with any third party. And here they need to work with all these new fintechs and developers and do all of that with a great developer experience. We saw banks were finding this hard, very expensive. They weren't necessarily doing Great job! So, as the guys that kind of wrote the standards, we said, "Well, actually, we can deliver a technology platform that just makes this a lot easier." So, what we do is we um, we help banks implement these these open banking APIs that perform really well and are compliant and conformant to all of the many different standards that are emerging around the world. Because there's, there's quite a, a complex, fragmented set of standards. So, yeah, we help banks put in place the, the foundations for this to really work, because it's all based on the quality of these, these interfaces that the banks deliver. And, yeah, that's what we do. We, we help quite a few banks around the world now um, uh, implement their open banking platform so that this can become more and more of a, a strategic channel for them.
1: Okay, and it all sounds very high-tech, uh, you know, very much in the kind of fintech territory. So is this really just for the challengers, the fintechs, or are we looking at this applying across all banks? So this this is a fundamental shift in the way
0: that the banking business model works. So banks, historically, as I mentioned earlier, to access the bank, you had to go through the bank's own channel. Um banks are now implementing these developer channels for third parties to build on. This has happened in, 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 in many other industries I mean you look at what Amazon have done with APIs and, and what Google have done with APIs around things like Google Maps. It's now, it's now embedded in so many other services because it's really good. Um, and, and this is a fundamental step change in how banks serve customers and go to market. So it isn't just for challenger banks and fintechs. This is for all banks. And in some places, it's being driven by regulation. In fact, in the UK, it was the biggest banks that had to implement this first um, to try and drive more competition and innovation. Um, But around the world, it's, it's banks of all sizes that are implementing these APIs, and, and frankly, it's it's much more than a compliance initiative. This this is this is lifeblood for banks. So, if banks want their products and services to be useful for customers, um, they need to provide the flexibility so customers can use the channel that they want to use. Um, so, now, in fact, the biggest banks are the ones that have probably got the uh, the most to lose and the most to gain if they either do it wrong or, or do it right. I mean, they have huge volumes of customers who have kind of increasingly digital demands for how they want to use their money and service their accounts. And if they can't support that, customers will, will vote with their feet. So um, no, this is, this is for the banking industry as a, as a whole, and it is a huge opportunity for the very big banks. And it is a huge opportunity for the challenges to, 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 to really build new
1: services and differentiate. Okay and it sounds I mean from what you're saying it sounds like a really fundamental shift um but but you know haven't customers always managed in the past i mean what what what, what is this being driven by customer expectations um i i, I yes fundamentally
0: it is um although it's being it's being accelerated and prompted in some places by the regulators saying the industry isn't moving fast enough on its own. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I, so years ago, if I wanted to watch a film, you'd pop down to blockbusters, get a, get a video out, take it, take it back the next day. And it, it, it you'd say it works, right. But um, um, now if you've got Netflix and Amazon prime and everything else in front, of, you'd never want to go back to, um, to that world. and, I think the same will, um, will, will be the case here. Again, I wouldn't want to go back to having to print out various copies of statements to do a simple online process. Um, equally, if we think, I mean, so much of our world now is digital and is based in platforms and marketplaces, whether it's uh, an Amazon or within a, uh, a sort of a, a, a big tech marketplace. And services need to be embedded in the places that customers are interacting. So if the only way you can interact with your bank is going to your bank app, um, which is something people do a lot and they tend to work pretty well, but it's going to limit the potential. Again, if Google Maps was only available via a Google Maps app, Um, not something that was embedded in Strava and Just Eat and Uber and everything else that usually uses location services, it wouldn't be anywhere near as successful. And, This is the opportunity for banks to make the products and services available in a way that they can be embedded more effectively in the places that customers are interacting and and, and using them. Whether that's making a payment, whether that's sharing their information to get access to a loan or to onboard to a merchant loyalty program or whatever it is, this is about just making the whole thing work more, more seamlessly. So yeah, a lot of things have worked well. I mean, it did used to work pretty well to key in all of your kind of business transactions into an accounting platform. But again, no one would want to waste their time doing that anymore. So, so yeah, things work well, but things can and will work better through, through really good digital interactions.
1: Yeah, I think the, the Google Maps analogy is a, is a good one, you know, because people see Google Maps all around in different in many other apps and, and they probably never think that, you know, it's an API that makes that possible. Um, uh, you mentioned that, that you worked with the UK government, you know, defining this standard and building out the ecosystem. Um, so is this something that just works in the UK or is it European or, you know, is this taking place around the world? Uh, no, this is absolutely a, a global phenomenon now. <laughs> To be honest, it, it looks a little bit
0: different and is being driven in slightly different ways um, around the world. But, um, yeah, open banking initiatives are happening on every continent right now. So right across Europe, all banks are having to do this as a result of regulation, PSD2. Um, and there are a number of other markets around the world where regulation is driving this in a, in a big bang way. So um, Brazil, there's a huge amount going on at the moment with a... Um, with an agenda actually that is far, far broader. So it's, it's much more of an open finance agenda. So all financial products, um, having to implement these, these interfaces. So not just your bank accounts, but you, the ability to share information and see in one place your pensions, your investments, your savings, all of, all of these different things. Um, similarly in Mexico, it's coming in Canada. It's, um, it's rolling out in a number of different markets across the Middle East now. Asia-Pacific, there have been a number of different open banking initiatives, often more market-led, and the regulators sort of watching carefully and 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 following up with, 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 with some sort of light oversight. US, it's been in place for many years, but looks slightly different. So, now this is absolutely a, a global phenomenon. I think the opportunity there is, over time, to do it in an increasingly standardized way globally. So... This becomes much more interoperable. So again, if you're building a whether it's an accounting platform or a financial management platform or a payment platform, so it becomes much easier to plug into banks in a similar way, whether they're in Europe, Latin America, or or Asia Pacific. And at the minute, we've still got quite a fragmentation in standards, and, and we support all of the the standards that um, that are out there to take away that complexity for. Um for banks, but that's definitely going to be one of the challenges if it gets increasingly fragmented it'll be hard it's almost if if every electric manufacturer had a different plug socket, life would be an awful lot more difficult so I think there's one of the the global questions is how do you drive much more standardization and interoperability but now this is absolutely a a global phenomenon happening in in many markets around the world and, and it it's inevitable it again if if banks don't have good platforms for developers and third parties to build on, banks won't be able to innovate quickly enough for their customers um, and their customers won't be able to use the, the, the services and the platforms that are part of their, their everyday life. So, um, so, yeah, it's definitely global. It is absolutely inevitable, but it looks a little bit different um, by market and geography.
1: Okay. And is there any kind of inertia here? Because, you know, I'm in Brazil, I've got a few different bank accounts, um, and nobody's told me how to connect them together. And, you know, when I talk to, I mean, I'm from the UK, when I talk to my friends back in the UK, I I haven't heard from any of them that are kind of connecting together their mortgage with their bank account with their savings. Um, So even though the standards have been out there for a few years now. So um, is it still kind of early adopters doing this? Or, or when, when do you think it's going to go mainstream?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and I think it's, there's kind of a, some nuanced layers to the answer. I guess the first high-level bit is actually it's pretty mainstream already. Um, it's just customers might not necessarily know the plumbing that sits underneath it all. But um, I mean, right now, the, the numbers have been growing exponentially for, for for quite a long period. So in the UK, just looking at the nine biggest banks, there are about 800 million API calls a month happening. Uh, the, the UK implementation entity published some data early in the year around sort of more than 3 million very regular users of services that are based on open banking. There are um, hundreds of authorised third parties that are able to connect to banks and are delivering services and all sorts of different different use cases. So it, it is very real. It is growing. Um, and I think we'll see similar trends everywhere in, in the world where, where this is happening. So it, it is a really interesting question, though, because I remember back in the, the UK implementation entity, there was always lots of discussion around things like what's the right approach to customer education and building trust? and. I think one of the conclusions was customer experience is is really key. And a huge amount of effort went into building a customer experience layer into the open banking standards. So to ensure that banks were implementing these APIs and the processes, when a customer grants consent and authorizes access to their account, no unnecessary steps are put in there. What they're being asked to do is laid out very, very clearly. So there were some really good standards and guidelines developed around customer experience. What wasn't done um, was a big, for example, national education exercise. That's easy with something like chip and pin or contactless to say, it will always look like this. You will tap, you will put in a four digit pin. But in this world of open banking, what you're really doing is you're putting in foundations that allow innovation. That innovation might look very different if you're, again, if you're giving access to make a loan application a lot easier. The way you'd communicate that is very different than if you're paying your um, annual tax bill to HMRC, which interestingly, HMRC are now open banking one of the ways that you can pay your taxes. That's a huge shift. That's that's almost like when TFL started taking contactless payments for the underground. That's a game changer. But it, it, it looks and needs to feel different and the communication around it is different. Um ultimately, open banking is it's a it's an infrastructure, it's a technology enabler. What needs to happen is really good customer experience at the the top end and make sure that the participants are thinking really clearly and carefully around how they inform the customers around what it is they're doing, and it does look a little different, so yeah i I think inertia around something new is inevitable some good things have been done to put the right foundations in place. And it is scaling. The the numbers are significant and becoming increasingly so. But it's it's hard to put really concrete rules around a platform that's designed for innovation, because you could potentially risk stopping a load of really good stuff if you say, it always has to look like this. So I think it's right that the customer experience guidelines are very well defined, but this isn't intended to be something that's completely restrictive. So it can only be used for one or two limited use cases because that would kind of defeat the
1: object. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, it's really that you're kind of building the plumbing and then people have got to build stuff on, on top of it. Correct. Yeah, uh, just to wrap up then, we've seen a huge kind of wave of digital transformation in banking more generally and, and the growth of the fintechs and challengers. Um, I mean, is anything exciting happening in this kind of post-pandemic environment in open banking? What what can we sort of expect in the next year or so? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a huge amount to come. Um, in fact, when the
0: pandemic first hit and everyone went into lockdown and, and there was... Obviously, a dramatic shift to more digital services. The the open banking ecosystem in the UK, and in fact, in a number of other countries, really took on the challenge. And there were there were quite a few businesses that that really focused their efforts on how can this be used to um, to help customers that may be in distress or may be suffering. Whether that was helping with tools and processes to uh, kind of manage debt um, uh, with people being on furlough or, or losing roles or Around access to some of the, 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 the loan schemes and things like that. So there's a huge amount of focus on how could it be used to help in the the pandemic, uh, in the, the time of the pandemic. But I think the really interesting stuff yet to come. So where this where open banking has has rolled out at scale, like the UK, often it's been driven by regulation. And almost that sets that sets a, a minimum bar or a start line. It absolutely isn't determining the, the end point. Um, I think we'll see innovation in, in a, a few different areas. I, I think one will be around payments. So the ability to embed real-time, low-cost account-to-account payments into digital experiences um, will be a massive game-changer. Uh, an alternative to the the, the card model, um, it needs a few additional enhancements to happen. It it's basically it's a step beyond the regulation, so it'll be more of a commercial space between the banks and the payment platforms. Um, but that's coming. Uh, there's, there's there's no doubt about that. Variable recurring payments is a is a standard that's been developed to support this. We we've already implemented that, and I think we'll see some really exciting stuff happening in payments. I think the other area is. All of a sudden, this creates a new paradigm around identity. So as a customer, you can start... A lot of people use things like login with Facebook, but that's not particularly secure in that the information you put into Facebook hasn't been verified. It hasn't gone through the same rigor that a bank would go through in confirming you are who you say you are when you open an account. So all of a sudden, there's this infrastructure where, whether it's merchants in a loyalty program or buying an airline ticket, All of a sudden, you can say, click a button and I can share some information that really does confirm I am who I say I am. And that's been validated by my bank. Um, And I I think that could get really interesting. So a lot of opportunity for much more embedded intelligent payments, but also customers to share data in a really frictionless way that unlocks a lot of uh, new doors for them in terms of onboarding experiences, merchant experiences... Buying tickets, whatever it is. I, I think, um, yeah, there's a huge amount of potential. And, and it's about this going beyond just those minimum regulations. And I think we'll see that in the next 12, certainly
1: 18 months. Right, Hugh, that's a great oversight. Thanks very much. No, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to the CX Pod Europe. That's all we've got time for today. Please check ttech.com slash amir slash CX Pod for other episodes of the podcast. Thank you for listening and goodbye until the next episode.